think you can keep cyber hackers out of your IT systems? Think again. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. truth is that hackers can break into just about any commercial network out there if they really want to. You seal up one entry point, they find another. No matter what you do, they always seem to be one step ahead. Still, there are a number of steps that companies can take, some of them quite basic, that can help to fortify their supply chains against cyber attack. We're going to hear about some of them from my guest today, Timothy Hall, president of Azorka Cybersecurity, LLC. He lays out the real risks and drivers around cybersecurity in global organizations and zeroes in on the biggest weaknesses in companies' systems today. Turns out it's not really an IT problem after all. So here is my conversation with Timothy Hall. Tim Hall, welcome to the program. Bob, thanks for having me. Let's talk about supply chain cyber risk management, which I assume up to this point, a lot of the discussion has centered around it being essentially an IT problem. Is that in fact the case or are there wider supply chain implications to the whole issue of cyber risk? Uh, that's a great point. Cybersecurity is, is really a, a business risk and a business management problem. Um, the technology and the Internet of Things, if you will, uh, today provides enterprise with a lot of efficiencies and opportunities, but with that comes a slew of significant uh, risks. And, and really, the leadership has to look at these things and make the trade-off between the benefits that they're going to get through the technology and the risks that are inherent in that technology. Uh, historically, uh, Many companies, due to the arcane nature of uh, IT and cybersecurity, have abdicated that uh, role to the CIO or the IT department. But actually, it's the decisions that are that the business managers and the supply chain practitioners are making every day. These decisions are what is actually driving the risk profile of the corporations and the enterprises. Uh, in the market today. As a matter of fact, if you take a look at um, some of the biggest names, the biggest companies that are being uh, represented in the news today, what you find is these companies have great security processes, they have great security tools, very, very knowledgeable people, great capabilities, but some of this is based on the decisions that are being made uh, on how they're going to run the business and where they're going to set their priorities. Well, the supply chain is so all-inclusive in terms of the number of people and processes that it encompasses. So which aspects of the supply chain would you consider to be most vulnerable to cyber risk at this time? Well, you know, um, it, it's really tough to answer, to provide a simple generic answer to that. And it's largely because 
exactly what risks you're facing and the vulnerabilities you're facing is going to be dependent upon who you are and where you exist in the supply chain. I mean, that's, that's basically because the sophistication and the types and the methods of attack are going to vary depending uh, on what the objective of the attacker is. So if you take, for example, if you're an end-item product provider or service provider that are dealing with the public, attackers are going to be after one set of things that are going to be very different than if you are someplace along the supply chain providing components to an end-item producer. So uh, let me give you a couple examples. Um, obviously, if you are a major retailer or a major financial institution, the objectives are going to be to go after your personally identifying information, uh, credit cards, cash, and they're going to be trying to get into the system to, to do that. If you are a provider along the supply chain, the attackers may be looking just to use you as a conduit into the final retailer, or they're looking to get into your system to actually impact, put back doors into the software to impact the credibility of the products, the durability of the products, so that they would fail later in the system. So it's really going to uh, change depending on what this is. But that said, really there is two big risks you're going to face in the system. One is the the risk of them getting in, and most of that, probably the most common, is through phishing attacks or spear phishing attacks. The other is more simple, and, and frequently these are insider attacks. So this is, it may be physical or logical attacks, and, and from a supply chain standpoint, if you think about it, when you let your suppliers in so that they can you, your production runs, your uh, design data, these people are now insiders, effectively. They are, are trusted, they have access into your network, and they can provide attacks via thumb drives, CDs, it could be a file that they're downloading into the system, intentionally or unintentionally, that are going to be providing access into these systems. Well, indeed, in the case of, say, Target, which had its you know, terrible incursion over the last year or so, it came through one of their heating vendors. And so that, you know, you wouldn't expect that to be the case, but that's not even a, a, a supplier of materials or product. That's simply a, a service partner that somehow had access enough to the Target system that the hacker was able to get in that way. That's exactly the case. I mean, uh, if you take a look at all of the data that's out there, more than 40% of cyber attacks today are coming either directly through or are closely associated with the supply chain. And in many cases, it's just like the target attack. These are, for all intents and purposes, insiders. So the supply chain, the management has decided that we're going to let VAC supplier to come in directly into the company to provide financial billing information. But once you've done that, you've opened up a new channel or conduit into the organization, and then has to be consciously managed. And these are the trades you have to be looking at. And to get back to what you were saying about the typical hacker before, I guess it's pretty difficult, if not impossible, to construct a hacker profile because there are so many different types. And we even hear about geopolitical threats, such as a, an elite military unit in China whose job appears to be to uh, to carry out cyber attacks, in some cases against uh, American businesses. So I guess there's no one type of hacker that we can really be going after in our efforts, is there? No. 
if you take a look at the hackers, there's a couple of things that are significant. One, to some extent, define the hackers based on their motives. So you either have hackers, this is probably the large majority, are motivated and their, their whole orientation is to steal money. And that could either be stealing it from financial accounts, credit card data, that kind of thing. They could be, and this is, this is a, a growing risk, is where they come in and actually um, ransom your data. They encrypt it and they say, if you don't pay me a certain amount of money in, in a short amount of time, I'm going to wipe all of your data. And this, is, this has been a, a growing problem. They can sell the capability to disrupt your operation strictly for competitive commercial reasons. And then there's always the uh, corporate espionage for profit. So that's one set of attackers. You also have the nation-state or corporate espionage. And then finally, you have the group that's looking to corrupt the system. Uh, again, nation-state, it could be a terrorist or hacktivist or somebody looking to actually disrupt this. All of these people are going to take different approaches to the attack basically to satisfy and optimize their motives. One of the scary parts, though, is once upon a time, you had a very wide range between the most sophisticated adversaries and the more casual adversaries, if you will. But that gap is closing. There's more and more information available on the web. There's more and more uh, organizations that are gaining more sophisticated uh, attack methodologies. And quite frankly, it is exceedingly difficult to stop them. There's just too many uh, opportunities facing the, the organizations today. Is the emergence of the cloud as a delivery vehicle for so many types of IT uh, applications causing additional cyber risks, or is, the, is that not really an issue? There's a lot of discussion about cybersecurity in the cloud, and I have to say that there has been significant advancements in the security applications or in techniques in uh, cloud delivery that is improving every day. What you're really looking at is the new and sophisticated implementations of technology. And every time you see major advances in technology, the way it's used and implemented, it's going to bring with it a new set of risks, and then it's going to take some time to get up to speed. The whole concept of the Internet of Things, having all of these components uniquely identifiable in the system that can be run automatically and provide new capabilities, these things bring with them a whole host of problems, primarily because we haven't thought of them before. And an attacker only has to find one small niche to get in. To protect it, you have to protect every possible exploitation. And it's, so it's always going to be in their favor. And it's always people, too, I understand. I mean, even the uh, most secure system sometimes finds people getting very lazy about the use of passwords, the type that they employ, and how they share them and stuff like that. So I'm wondering, in your personal experience in client engagements and customer engagements, where do you see them making the biggest mistakes or the biggest oversights that uh, would be simple to, to cure if they were to be a little bit more diligent? So some of the most fundamental is it's not going to happen to me. So people are, they're fascinated by the topic. It's a great cocktail conversation. Um, everybody wants to talk about cybersecurity and the latest hacks, etc. But there is always this feeling, well, it's going to happen to somebody else. So they're not really worried about it. The second thing is it's, it's too complicated. 
I, I can't possibly get my head around that. That's too hard. I'm going to leave this problem up to somebody else. Um, the reality is the topic isn't that complicated. I mean, there, should, there, there are clearly technical nuances, but to make good decisions, you don't need to be operating at that level. You just have to have a good understanding of what's really at play and what are your options available to you. And when you start to understand this, you can start handling your passwords better. You can start making better financial decisions on what tools you buy, what do you implement, how do you do these things. I think most of it is just having a better understanding of the environment you're operating in. So I'm not talking about training so much for technical detail as I would refer to it as executive coaching, um, having people have a better understanding of where they fit and what they can and cannot do. Do you see patterns in terms of company size? Like, let's say a larger company, on one hand, you might expect to be more diligent because it can afford better resources and more experts. But yet, at the other hand, the large bureaucracy that comes with a company that size can sometimes bury efforts and, and cause gaps in, in communication that can make them even more vulnerable. Uh, versus a small company that might not be able to afford the resources, or at least they think they can't afford the resources to protect them from cyber attacks. Any generalization you can make, large company or small, or even uh, vertical industries too? Some industries are more engaged and involved in the cybersecurity issues and implementations than other industries. Clearly, larger companies with higher margins, with more available cash, can afford better implementation and a, a larger and better equipped staff, which makes a huge difference. But my experience over time has been that companies start growing and their first objective is to be profitable and to sell their products, differentiate themselves on the market and move forward. Cybersecurity is a cost. It's, it's a cost and it's not the focus of their business. So they come in every day and you're working on your business. As you get larger and larger, you have a bigger risk associated with maintaining your business. But when people are looking at the risks, I'm going to go back to most of this is it's not going to happen to me. And so when they look at the risks, they're worrying about the building burning down, they're worrying about uh, the suppliers being able to deliver on time, they're worrying about whatever the natural disaster is going to be. They may be worrying about IT from, uh, am I going to lose all my data, my customer set, is somebody going to steal proprietary information? But cyber risks in the, in the scope and the size of the Target, Home Depot, Jimmy John's, uh, and everybody else uh, that's, that's dealing with these things today, and all of the ones we haven't heard uh, publicly in the news, those are things that people don't put on their act action list. They're, they're not the big cyber risk that, that has been traditionally at the forefront. Now, in the last couple of years, I have to tell you, the large organizations um, are clearly getting religion, and companies are working hard to incorporate this cyber risk uh, management into uh, their business plans and their activities. And, and you're seeing this, especially across the financial sector, energy, uh, a lot of the critical infrastructure, health uh, kind of places. So you're seeing a, a substantial change, but when you move down from the larger organizations, you're still finding companies that don't have the bandwidth, they don't have the resources to be able to um, take the actions that they probably should be taking. 
All right. Well, let's talk about prevention. What are some uh, initial steps, or if not the initial step, that a company needs to take to ensure that its uh, cyber risk strategy is, is, is effective? So I'm going to give you two answers, and that's primarily because you have the larger organizations, uh, and larger organizations are well-equipped and have a strong team working on it. And then there are those companies that aren't quite there yet. So for all companies, I would start with, it's really about the executive coaching. It's getting everybody coordinated on the same page. So a lot of these companies that you see in the news today, they do, in fact, have a fantastic set of cyber skills, people, uh, and talent involved in the business. The issue is where are the priorities set for the business and how are things implemented? How are these trades being made? And I think integrating the supply chain management, the executive management, the C-suite, board of directors into this risk management structure so that you're making good holistic decisions is probably the first and most important step for all organizations. Even before you start to adopt technology. Even before you do anything. So that would be my number one is, is do some holistic coaching. So the, the second piece is uh, for, for those, uh, this would also apply, but I think it, 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 you would implement this differently depending on the organization, but you need to do some kind of a pulse check. You need to do some kind of an assessment. Now, there are a lot of standards out there and there, that are very good benchmarks that you can use to do this assessment, pulse check by, but some of this is just to get an understanding of where are we and what's at risk. It doesn't have to be exhaustive. I think a, a good, quick pulse check will tell most organizations, give them a good feeling of, of where they're at. The second thing is, uh, once you've done that, is then move on and look at the low-hanging fruit. And quite frankly, it turns out that most of the things that companies have in place right now, if they're structured right, if they're integrated and coordinated, will handle 80% of the problems. So, I mean, we're talking very simple things. It's the policies and the procedures. It's the patch management in the system. There's a, there's a series of things. As a matter of fact, I have a chart in one of the presentations I gave in July that gives you a feeling of for what kind of things have to be done. And basically, it's just the foundational level. If they're done, will put you on the right track and take care of most of the issues that go with it. Once you've done that, then you can start looking at the coordinating the internal structure. In other words, you want to make sure that you're not doing your enterprise risk management with one set of people, your supply chain risk management with another set of people, and you're not integrating these pieces because, as I said, the IT ripples across all of these, and it really is a significant uh, issue that you want to reconcile. And then start. Once you have that, you'll have a foundation. You'll know where you're at. You can actually make uh, financial and risk priority decisions and then put a formal program in place. Who in the organization should own this at the, at the highest level? Should there be one individual who oversees the entire cyber risk management program, or does it need to be distributed among a number of different people throughout the supply chain? I believe in general that this is a – clearly it's a CEO – issue, but it is, I think, needs to be owned by the enterprise risk officer or someone who's filling that role to coordinate 
all of the issues, because as I said, this is not a technology problem. It's a business problem. So you want to button down the the technology and make sure it's bulletproof, no problem. You're not going to be as responsive to to clients as you're looking for. You want to make sure that you're reducing the cost, the time of material into the uh, product cycle. That's great, but once you do, you've you've opened vulnerabilities into the system uh, through your supply chain. So all of these have to be traded. The real trick is how do you translate this? Because typically you have someone who is responsible for the enterprise risk may not be skilled in technology components. So the real trick is to have the ability to have people in place that can actually translate that to this person so that you can scope the risk appropriately and make decisions appropriately. And I guess a strong education program that extends all the way through the organization from the top down that in, that uh, stresses to everybody the, the importance of maintaining a strong cyber risk management program. That's, that's clearly a requirement for all organizations. But I have to tell you, most organizations have a cybersecurity and IT security kind of training program in place. So they have policies that require that the employees have to sign this or that, and that they have to read a document or attain a, uh, a class. The issue, I'll say, comes back to, but has are the senior managers coordinated in their business decisions that are driving uh, implementation of processes, uh, tools, et cetera, that actually impact the security. So I think that's where a lot of the disconnect is. Do you believe in testing one system for vulnerabilities in in any way on on an ongoing basis? I, I think vulnerability testing has its place. If you want to get in, you can get in. So if you take any system and you have a sophisticated uh, attacker, they can get in. So testing it just to see if you can protect against someone getting in isn't really going to scratch the itch because they can, they can get in. So you haven't really told yourself anything. Using attack pen testers, penetration testers, to test the system is good because it gives you a feeling for the security control that I put in place. Is it working to the degree I expected it to work? So in that regard, to use penetration testing to say, will the average attack tool be able to get through my website? And you say, okay, it it looks like everything's configured properly for the average attack tool, so I've taken care of that level of adversary. Penetration testing should not be looked at as I've passed it and therefore I have no risks because that's not accurate. How can a company keep current with developments in increasing cyber hacking uh, sophistication as well as uh, tools, new tools to protect against those? You asked two different questions. One is how do you stay current against uh, evolving adversaries? And uh, as I said earlier, you're always at a disadvantage. The adversary is its much easier them to, for them to keep evolving their attack methodologies than it is for you to be current in defending all of them. Um, They can move, I mean, the attack surface is huge, and they can pick any vector they want to continue to uh, expand and exploit, and you won't know which one they picked until they've used it. 
So you're always at a disadvantage to some extent. The other piece is when, when you go to implement these, most organizations right now have an IT budget. They have an IT system in place. Everything is currently up and operating. And when you say, well, I want more security tools, you never have enough money to implement all the controls and the security tools you want. And one of the big challenges these days is as you move forward, more and more of these the product providers are providing point solutions. They do, they're a firewall. They, they uh, monitor net traffic. They are uh, IPS. They do certain security functions. And they are very good with a certain system configuration. And maybe not as effective if they don't have a certain configuration. The difficulty is when you look at an extremely large IT implementation, it's tough for any CIO to stay current on all aspects of the technology that's out there and be able to evaluate all of these uh, individual components to know which one is optimized in their system. So as this, the threats continue to evolve, it is difficult to keep up and keep pace as you move forward. Well, I do appreciate your bringing us up to date on some of the tools that are available out there to protect against cyber hacking situations, as well as the state of cyber hacking today. So, uh, Tim Hall, thank you very much for being with us today. I really appreciate the time. Thank you very much. That was my conversation with Timothy Hall of Azorka Cybersecurity, offering a real-world view of the cyber attack threat. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading. We're taking a Thanksgiving break, so the next episode goes live in two weeks. In the meantime, you can read my Think Tank blog, watch nearly 2,000 videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. And you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, where all of our episodes are now available. Just search for Supply Chain Brain Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.